This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. This coaching series on All Have Another Podcast is brought to you by VDOT. You can use VDOT to help with your training, or if you are a coach, you can use it as well. VDOT is a coaching app for runners of all levels based on the science of legendary exercise scientist and coach, Dr. Jack Daniels. If you're a coach and you want to learn more, send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. You can get a free 30-day coaching trial. And if you are interested in using their adaptive trainer as an athlete, just go to v.o2.com or download v.o2 on iOS or Android. You can use the code lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, for 20% off. All right, so today on the coaching series, I'm so excited to have Kevin Hansen on the podcast. Kevin has been a part of the running community for many, many years. He's coached high school athletics, everyday runners like you and I, and professional runners as well for years. Over 20 years ago, he and his brother Keith started the Hansen's Brooks Distance Project. They were you know, one of the very first groups, if not the first group, you can correct me if I'm wrong, they saw a need for training groups in America and they started their own and look at what has happened over the last 20 years since that group started. Group training seems to be where it's at and the model that the Hanson's Brooks team set up really has been a model that a lot of teams have gone on to run in a similar fashion. We know we do better when we're in a group, right? Not everybody. I know I talk to a lot of athletes here who are who are more solo trainers. They're not necessarily in a group, but it has been shown that group training is really beneficial, and Kevin and Keith saw the need for that long ago. Okay, the Hansons-Brooks team has produced four Olympians, 12 national champions, 30 world championship team members, 75 U.S. national team members, and 186 top 10 finishes at U.S. championships. Wow. Um, Some of the most notable runners that have run with the Hanson's Brooks team, Des Linden. We all know Des. Olympian, Boston Marathon champion. They were a huge part in her development as an athlete. They also put Brian Sell on an Olympic team. They were part of his journey making an Olympic team in the marathon in 2008. And uh, most recently, you know, Natasha Rogers has really, really had some really big successes after taking some some time away from the sport and building back up, making a world championship team and really having some big success in her career. And um, she has been on the Hanson's Brooks team. She did recently move over to Puma, but we talk about Natasha in this episode Uh, And that was really exciting to hear Kevin talk about that. Kevin and his brother Keith also own several running stores in Michigan where they live. And what you're going to hear from Kevin, and I feel like I just can't get the entirety of his career out in this like short little intro. It's way more than I'm I'm even sharing. But you're going to hear from someone who cares about the running community, loves the running community, loves what he does, and wants the best for the sport. And he's a coach that our country and the Hanson's Brooks team are really fortunate to have. And Kevin, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you more and getting to know your heart and passion for distance running. 
All right, friends, if you're enjoying this series, please send it on to friends that might enjoy it as well. And leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. When you leave a rating and review on iTunes, you are entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. And we pick a winner every single month. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Kevin Hansen. All right. Well, today in this coaching series, I'm so excited to have Kevin Hansen on the show. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I am so pumped for this interview. Uh, We are talking to one of the OGs in all of the coaching history of the United States. So this is really, really fun for me. That's some high accolades. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, So how'd your team do in Houston? I know you're just getting back from Houston. Yeah, solid, solid. We were really pleased. Um, six of the seven that ran the half marathon PR'd. And so uh, um, that was uh, a positive. Um, I don't think Houston ran quite as fast this year as last year, although don't tell Emily Sisson that, obviously, um, because although she wasn't there last year, so you can't really compare her from this year to last year. But um, it really, uh, there was a little bit of a headwind over the last couple of miles coming in. So people that were on paces didn't quite hit them, but uh, exceptionally pleased with our women who were all targeting 111 and were 11052, 11056, and 11.07. So it's like, so those were really outstanding. Well, they were surrounded with, with quite a few people there in that range. That seems to be like a pretty popular range in Houston. So many fast women go to that race and men. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you're right. You're right. But it's, uh, um, yeah, we're pleased with the field. They always do a great job there, you know, for years and years. And so, uh, so we're always happy to go back to Houston because you know, it's going to be run well. Yeah. What, like, are you guys Houston every year? It seems like, and I talked to Emily Sisson about this, uh, after she broke the American record in May and Indy, it's like, there's just not a ton of real fast half options, huh? There are not. There are not. Not in the U.S. You almost have to leave the country for them. You'll see people going to Valencia and things like that that are creating opportunities. But um, uh, it's it's funny because Emily is so good right now that she it, I don't she doesn't have to find a fast half marathon to run fast. She just does it, you know. So, but uh, but she is right. I mean, and so people do kind of want to hear for this. Now we're good because we have a large group going to Boston this year, and so. This makes sense. Um, I we always run a half marathon during our uh, as kind of a simulator, more practicing fluids and stuff. But we do not during um, the marathon buildup. We don't do anything to run fast there. You know what I mean? So it's not really. So we don't taper for it. I always feel like if we're tapering during the marathon segment, and this is not what happened here. This is prior to we're getting started now with the marathon segment, but. Uh, but normally we don't, they, our athletes don't get a chance to go after a half a lot because we run a half during that time and we don't taper for it. I always think if you taper for it, it affects the marathon, which is the highlighted thing in that series. And, but the problem sometimes is if you don't taper for it, people become discouraged because they didn't hit what they wanted to hit. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird kind of thing. They have marathon during a marathon build. Oh, totally. I was, I forget who I was talking to about this. I was just talking about that because I always feel like if I race a half marathon, like six or eight weeks or something before a marathon and my pace is like so close to what I'm trying to do for the marathon, but it was still so hard. I'm like, right. How am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. That was half the distance. How am I possibly? So it sometimes plants doubts. 
and things. I try so hard um, the week prior and things to get in their heads that you guys are tired. We yeah. did not taper. We did not, you know, I keep trying to, I, I mean, <laughs> normally I try to be super positive going into a race, but I don't consider that a race. So I'm, if anything, I'm super negative. I'm like, I don't expect you to do much here. I expect you to get the work in that we need to for whatever marathon it is. But I, uh, I try to give, and it's not, it's not trying to give them an out. It's just being realistic. Yeah. You know, that's interesting too, as a fan of the sport, when we watch, for instance, like the New York city half, which is March and all these athletes are mid marathon training and you're like, okay, what did everybody place? What did they run? But really like, we don't know what each person's coach has told them, what their goals are and who races halves better mid marathon cycle. Cause some people's aren't as tired. Right. Right. All of those things are factors. All of those things are factors. Definitely. So, um, we, you're, you're, you're on it. It's like, we, we all want to, as the fan in us all want to look at that and say, Ooh, so-and-so is in trouble. I'll tell you one of the, uh, people that for years would run Chicago, um, and then would run Philly, uh, half before it. Um, and we would see times at Philly and they'd go, oh, they're not ready for Chicago. And then Chicago comes and go, oh, they ran pretty much the same pace or whatever. It's like, yeah. So it's uh, it depends on what, what your what your goals are. Wait, so who was that? Khalid Kanuchi. I've had lots of talks Khalid with Khalid about certain things in the marathon that I've utilized in our own training that were like I always thought special. I mean, he was nobody seemed to close the marathon as well as he did. Mm. And there were things that I always like utilized with him in his training that, uh, you know, he's the one that always in a long run in marathon prep, almost always had at least three miles at marathon pace or faster from like 15 on someplace, you know, so he was teaching himself to run marathon pace or faster on tired legs. And so um, that became important for us to kind of incorporate um, in things that we do in our own marathon training. Okay. I have so many questions just off of what you just said there. <laughs> because, you know, as a amateur runner, which most of our listeners are, I find that if I do a long run every week or I, I actually kind of lean more towards the 10 day thing if I can. And I realize that my schedule is flexible so that I can do that. And most people can't. Um, right. But I, I tend to alternate. Like if I do a long, easy run this week, next week, it's going to have marathon pace. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that with the long runs, like how often you do the marathon pace. And then also like, how different that is from an amateur runner trying to run like a three thirty or three hour marathon compared to someone who's, you know, trying to make an Olympic team. Right. It's, it's, it's completely different. We definitely do. We go on a nine day cycle. So we go long run two days of what I call recovery. And, uh, then something of substance can be, a uh, we, and we joke about calling them something of substance. Cause it's kind of like you wave the white flag, you know, like, SOS, SOS, you know, so it's kind of thing, but it's usually a tempo or long repeats or marathon specific stuff or something that requires a stopwatch. And that's like day four, day five and six are recoveries again. And then day seven is again, another something of substance day, eight, nine are recovery days. And then we're back to the long run. And what this does is it gives us two days 
of recovery on each side of everything that we do. So, um, and recovery days are, are definitely different, but I'm talking now strictly a pro schedule. Yeah. Um, what that means is two days before the long run and two days after the long run are recovery days. And so if you keep that in mind, it's a little easier to put your, your I don't know, just to get a grasp of things because it's difficult to run for Monday through uh, seven day week schedule. You run a long run and you're saying, okay, I got something, I, got, I wanna do something faster on Tuesday. And I don't want this long run to take away from that. But then I also don't want Tuesday's workout to hinder too much of what I get out of the long run. So it becomes that delicate balance. And it's so much easier as a pro to not have that, you know, so it's uh, because they have nine days. And so they have days of, enough days recovery that they don't feel like, oh, shoot, on Sunday, I just went after that. I just spent Tuesday's workout, you know, so and and so that's a huge advantage. Huge advantage. So. I'm curious when you're coaching amateurs, then would you tend more so than to, to just do one speed work session a week in between the long run rather than a Tuesday, Thursday where it, with the pros, you've got the two quality sessions. Right. Right. Um, yeah, we, we tend, we still will tend to do things, but we won't, I'll never have them do something hard in a long run. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. We'll do, you know what I mean? So they won't have go miles or um, something at race pace in the, it's more time on the feet than it is anything else. And it's more learning to run the long run already being tired. And it's um, all of those kind of things, but we still will go Tuesday with, um, uh, with them. We'll still go at Tuesday uh, with some sort of marathon specific stuff. And then Thursday um, with, uh, uh, with a tempo run. Okay. So never marathon pace work in the long run? I don't with the, the masses. I don't. I, it's, it's just, it's too much volume in seven days. The other thing is always trying to remember that um, <laughs> they have lives, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like uh, people say, oh, you're doing a long run? Like with the pros, it can, it's wherever it falls in that 90 cycle. So it's every day, you know, it could be um, of the week. And they'll say, oh, you're doing a long run on a Tuesday? And it's like, why Why a long run on a Tuesday? It's just where it fell this time. You know, it's totally. like it doesn't, every day is a Sunday for a pro runner. You yeah. Know? So they could, yeah, so it's like, whatever. It doesn't make any difference, you know. Oh, there's nothing I love more than getting a long run done on a Friday before the weekend kicks <laughs> off. That is like the best. That's, that's like getting your homework done early, right? Yeah. It's like getting your, as a kid, I've been getting your homework done early. It's like, Got Instead of procrastinating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got everything in front of me. Now I'm super like, I'm, I'm way interested in this because what if you have an amateur that's like pretty fast and like, you know, wants to take off like some seven tens in a, in a marathon. Are you saying if the bulk of those two quality section sessions midweek are like really hardy enough that that can't sustain them? Yeah. Um, I would say my daughter falls into that category. Okay. Um, my daughter's, uh, 24 years old and, uh, and involved in the industry, by the way. Um, but, uh, she's, uh, she ran her first marathon, her and her boyfriend. Um, uh, and we did a lot of marathon specific stuff at three. She ran three Oh seven. Okay. And so, um, and, but that was her debut, you know, she has not run a marathon before or anything else. And it was, uh, it was enough work without adding, um, something quality during the long run as well. Um, it, she had enough marathon specific stuff and things. So, um, 
So, yeah. And her boyfriend, who had no running experience other than like in high school, um, he was a, a hockey player and they made them run during cross. But he always said, like, the first day of cross practice was my first day of running. And <laughs> the last day of cross practice was my last day of running <laughs> and like nothing in between. And so he had no real experience, but just started running when he met my daughter. He ran 255 in the marathon. Wow. And, and like, you know, and he just had no experience. Like I say, it was just like his first marathon, first segment, so on and so forth. So the two of them are planning to run Boston 2024. So, um, so with those, with their qualifying teams. Well, he must be quite the athlete. He is a good athlete. Yeah. He's definitely <laughs> a good athlete. And so, but yeah, I mean, that was basically um, his first thing. I mean, honestly, I, I think the, the brunt of the work, I think sometimes we try squeezing too much in. It's almost like, you know, a good doctor that's talking to a, a pregnant woman that says, can I run while I'm pregnant? And the answer always is yes, as long as that's what you've been doing. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but no, if you're not, you're not a runner and you decide now's the time to start exercising because you're adding variables to your, to your system. And I always think of the same thing, like with runners, like we're increasing their weekly mileage. We're giving them two workouts a week plus a long run. All of this is increased variables. And so adding another variable to that um, is, I think, too much for their body to absorb. You know, I kind of, I've never done that method. Like actually in my last few marathons I've ran, I, I typically will do one speed session a week. And then like I had mentioned earlier, I'll alternate right. like marathon pace one weekend, one 10 day cycle, uh, just easy the next. Um, but I kind of like this idea because it, it takes a lot of pressure off the long run and it does. We really build the long run up in our heads and stress about it, especially if we have marathon pace miles in it. Cause then it makes it scary and big and it's already kind of scary and big. So I really like this idea. You added another variable. Exactly. Like you just said, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And, and there's lots of things like with that, it's somebody like, is it okay if I lift weights while I'm, while I'm preparing for the marathon? So my next question always is, do you normally lift weights? You know, and if the answer is no, well, I've heard good things about strength training and so on and so forth. Nope, we've got too many variables here. We can't, I don't want you to add something. But yes, if you're a regular, somebody that goes to the gym already regular, heck yes, keep it up, full speed ahead. Because we're not adding variables to that person. Totally. What's your philosophy on strength training if someone's, going to be starting a new season and they do want to incorporate that you know I know some coaches will eliminate strength training like two weeks up to the race like how do you encourage athletes to build that without adding too many variables yeah it, it, it depends a lot of it depends on where they came from what like for us with the pros I mean it's like what their college system did and then it, that changes how we affect it I mean there's some people like like Amy Davis, his father was um, the, he was for 10 years was uh, number one in the world in at 118 pounds wrestling. Wow. And he was a wrestle, wrestling coach at University of Wisconsin for 25 years. I mean, she had weightlifting things that she did from a six-year-old, you know what I mean? So like for her, whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, it's real easy. I'm not worried about how this is going to fatigue her. Um, but um, others, it's... Uh, it becomes part of the taper the same as everything else. You know, like when you get in a taper stage, the worst thing to do, you better, 
I, I'm on the side that I prefer eliminating it over that period. And part of it is because when you start to taper, you start to feel better. And when you start to feel better, you put, oh, wow, I can lift more. I could do this more. So you're actually screwing up your taper. I mean, we see that even with daily paces. I'm, I'm not a big stickler on like making sure you're slower than X or slower than, you know, but I am during the taper because during the taper, we start feeling better. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody normally is, um, you know, with the elites is recovering at seven minute pace. Wow. I can recover at six thirty pace. Well, yeah, but we're not banking the rest that we need during the taper. Totally. All right. We have so many places we can go with this interview. And so I'm like, Oh, where do we go next? But, um, I do want to kind of go back a little bit because you, I mean, when I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you're an OG in the coaching space and running world, like you really are. And, and you and your brother have really built this program. And by the way, this you guys built your program before group training was like all the rage. Like that is what people do now. But you saw the value in that early on. That was uh, that was the reason that we started it for group training, because basically, if you talk to people like Greg Meyer and people that were like successful in the 80s, they will tell you that what happened in the 80s was that, and this sounds really funny, but the reason that the decline of the 90s was actually because of money, not because of lack of money. And so what happened was in the 70s and, and why these people had success in the 80s was there were pockets of people that were training in groups and they weren't funded by a shoe company, but there was, you know, Bill Rogers and his group in, um, in Boston. And then there was Frank Shorter and his group that was started in Tallahassee and then moved to, uh, to uh, Boulder. And then there was a group training um, that Nike was getting started out on. And so there were th these areas and people had to make decisions when they got out of college where they went, but they did, they went on their own dime. Nobody had shoe contracts coming out of college. And then once they proved themselves at the pro level, they would get a shoe contract. So these Groups that were training would have six different shoe companies sponsoring them, not a shoe company sponsoring them or not a. Um, and so then what happened is the shoe companies start becoming competitive with each other. And so they started, oh, we want to get this guy straight out of college. So they give him a contract, but they didn't have the infrastructure of, you know, housing and coaching and health, you know, and so. So all of these people were kind of trying to do it on their own or the college coach was trying to help them or things like that. But they didn't have um, what it took to have solid groups. And so basically we start falling apart. And so we thought, hey, we can get back to doing what was successful there and things. So that's where it came from was that. And we look and you say, you know, you look at the best marathoners in the world and you say, obviously, um, Everybody will know it's Kenya and Ethiopia. That starts for, well, they both do group training, but they do it for financial reasons because they have to pool their resources to make it work. That's great. And thanks. Some people will believe that they are basically born better than us, mm. that they are born, you know, that being born at altitude and so on and so forth gives them a distinct advantage. And before I even can start to fight that argument, the third group that's really dominant in the world is Japan. Japan also does group training, training in a corporate system, but Japan 
I start saying, wait a minute, Japan too. So wait, are we just weaker than everyone? Why are we not successful? Japan does group training because they saw that it works. Mm. And so basically we're stealing others' ideas. We're stealing what worked in the, in the 70s and 80s for us and what had worked on the world scale and said, this is stupid. We need to do this here. We need to figure out how to do this here. And so that was why we started. And there's some things that we're like super proud of that like people don't even really know. My brother is the one, because when we started, we, we, had, we had to prove things to everybody. And so my brother's the one that's, that called it project, that put the word project in there. I say that for a reason. No one prior to had ever used the word project. Now there's middle schools that call themselves distance project and so on and so forth. That never happened in running before us. And so we kind of like that word came to running because of actually my brother. But um, but depends on who we're talking to. Usually I take credit for it. So uh, <laughs> but no, no, truthfully, Keith came up with that. And it was like because that's what we really viewed ourselves as, yeah. as a project, as a you know, we want to we want to prove that this can work here. And so that's how we started. And that was in 1999. And um, there was no other groups that were doing what we were doing that provided housing and health insurance and equipment and all of those kind of things. So it was like, uh, it was uh, unique then, not unique now. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm also proud of, with that came, you know, things that sometimes people don't realize. Like BAA, when they started, there was a guy there, Mike Peroni at the time, who I really liked and so on and so forth. And he admired what we were doing and was always very good to us and brought us in and so on and so forth. And he, uh, he wanted to do something similar to that in Boston. And then one of our athletes that moved to Boston and stuff and started helping Mike with stuff and things, and then sat down, his name is Terry Shea. And then he sat down, they sat down and talked to, um, Mike sat down and talked to me about what things we could do. And then the BAA eventually started their group, but, I always feel like I, I, I like to be a, cause I feel like Mike Peroni started it and he started it after discussions with me. Mm. Um, NAZ, Ben Rosario ran for me. Yes. I knew so that. So NAZ started here. Um, Danny Mackey with the beast started with me. Uh, Dathan Ritzenheim ran for me. Um, so there's a lot of within the groups, yeah. there's a lot of like, um, I mean, you know, uh, things that started from here and, and, and grew. And so we're proud of that. We're proud of that. We're proud when when those people have successes. Um, I, I I'm happy because I, I think it goes back to group training. I mean, in 2004 when we started 99 and no one was doing it, and then in 2002 others started catching on and started doing it, and they started what was a Team USA California is what it eventually eventually became Mammoth, and that's in 2004 when. Um, when Meb and Dina both won medals, I cried oh. because, because I mean, that's like, that's why, that's why we were, that's why we, we wanted to be more competitive. Don't forget in 2000 that the U S sent one male and one female to the Olympic games wow. because nobody, nobody else met the standard. And so like, um, and so that's like rock bottom then. And so now, you know, you look at things and, and it's just so much better and we're proud of that. We don't even talk about that very much. We've been talking about 
how especially I know we talk about the women a lot. Um, how dominant. Rightfully so. Yes. Rightfully so. I mean, yes. It's so fun and it's so amazing it to see this like rock star group just like leveling up and leveling up because you know they're lifting each other up. Um, but I don't really ever talk to people about that history all the way back to 2000. I think a lot of people listening are going to say, what? We only sent yeah. one male one and woman. one female? Yes, yes. In 2000? I, I mean, that... In 2000, right, exactly. It's exactly. not that long ago. I mean, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> right. Depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I guess we're... something's tell me, like... That's all forever ago. That's so it's true. like, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that really, the fact that you just said you cried when they meddled, that just honestly speaks to the depths of your connection and the way you have, you are interwoven into so many aspects of running culture. Like you've been around for so long. And the fact that these two people that weren't even on your team made an Olympic team, but knowing that those roots from that team culture are what made that transpire, like which was what your goal was when you started your team. It's so cool to hear. Oh, it's, it's, I, I, I think that that's true with many people that are doing what we're doing. I mean, I think that many people that are there are like, you know, um, when, when successes happen with our, with, within our program, my first five or six texts come from other groups. Oh, you know, I mean, it's the same, you know, it's, it's a thing. I, I, and I mean, like, even like even small successes like this year when we won um, Club Cross this year, like I hadn't got to my team yet. I was walking over. They're finished over on the other side. I'm working my way, trying to get there. And Mark Carroll came up and put his arm around me, who was the major team we were competing against there and said, congratulations, you got us. You know, it's mm. for, I mean, it wasn't a. It wasn't a, uh, I mean, I'm sure he's disappointed because same as I would have been had we not have won. But I mean, it's like, he was like super, um, I don't know. He seemed, he seemed as disappointed as he was for himself. He seemed as happy for me and our team. You know what I mean? So it's like, so I think that's, I think that's kind of universal. That's so cool. Uh, speaking of that team, um, I know Natasha Rogers has announced that she's moving with Puma, but like, man, what a success she had with you guys. We're pleased with Natasha. I mean, you know, when Natasha came to us, she was out of the sport. Um, yeah. She was without contract and so on and so forth. And so um, I, I'm i very happy that at the end of – she had never been healthy for 18 straight months, she'll tell you, back to high school. And so um, the fact that she spent four years with us healthy, improved, ran PRs in every event that she ran, and um, – I'm, I'm pleased that now she's a wanted commodity. So that's cool. You know, that's like, I'm, I'm super happy with that. All right. Now this series, I've got a new sponsor that I'm really excited about because I've been using their programs for years. I'm a running coach myself and have been using VDOT for years. So VDOT 2 is a coaching app for runners of all levels based on the science of legendary exercise scientist and coach, Dr. Jack Daniels. VDOT offers access to the highest quality Olympic style training for runners of all levels, right from any mobile device. It's designed to help runners train correctly and more intelligently. VDOT elicits maximum benefit while reducing the required effort. 
Dr. Jack Daniels spent his life researching how runners get faster, and one of his major findings was that running more or faster in your workouts doesn't always mean better results. VDOT workouts promote healthy, responsible, and beneficial sessions while simultaneously preventing overtraining. Did you hear that? I don't want to overtrain, do you? So listen, I've got a couple discounts for you all, depending on what you might be interested in with VDOT. So if you're an athlete and you don't have a coach and you want to check out VDOT, they have a great adaptive trainer. It is so simple. You input your training preferences and the app will personalize your workouts and coach you leading up to your future races. And unlike most running apps, VDOT knows you. It understands the type of runner you are, what you're training for, and how to maximize your efforts. It also gives you more control over your training, leveraging your feedback to deliver real-time data, which fine-tunes your training and leads to continuous progression. All right, so you can check out VDOT. If you are an athlete and you want to check it out, download VDOT02 on your smartphone or visit v.02.com, select adaptive trainer and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y for 20% off. Okay. Now listen, if you're a coach like me, or you're someone whose friends are always coming to you for advice about running, you can learn how to utilize the platform for your runners. This is what I use. I've been using it for probably four years now. And You know, I've been coaching runners for nine, maybe 10 years, and it is so much simpler with VDOT. It has taken my workload down, and I really enjoy scheduling workouts in VDOT, and then athletes can leave comments on their workouts straight from the app. I can look at it on my phone. It is such a time saver for any coach. Uh, You can try this out for a 30-day free trial. Visit VDOT02.com to learn more. And if you are a listener and you're a coach and you'd like a free coaching consultation with the team at V.02 to discuss your coaching situation and how you can leverage the app to help your athletes perform, email me. I will talk you through it at lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. Speaking of cross, I guess this is going to come out after. Do you have athletes going to the championships this coming weekend? We do. Um, Pretty much, uh, we have four men running. Um, So we are not running women there. Um, We had decisions to make on like, um, our our women that are running Boston, Mm. we like, we try to get, we're getting started with our Boston segment, like right about now. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those, like, um, if we ran, if we ran the championships, and we made the team it would feb, middle of february february 18th when worlds are in it would be and it would be in australia which is um like i mean great place to go but traveling nightmare obviously other side of the world it would greatly affect boston yeah and so boston was a focus for them so we made the decision to focus on houston and then um, during this time period. So the men that we have that are running there are not running Boston. So so uh, it was just a, a schedule decision. Let's get some good old uh, Boston coaching advice now that we're on the topic. Yeah, we're, we're real happy with, I mean, we've had 20 athletes finish in the top 15 at uh, Boston at one time or another um, since we started going. And um, 
I, I'm, I, you know, go back to myself, like when I was a youngster and I, I remember getting off the plane and in the cab and the cab driver says, are you here to run the marathon or to watch it this weekend? Like that's all you could possibly be in the city for. Yeah. And there's so many like cool things. Like there's a, there's a, I think it's in Newton. Um, and I remember reading this story before this, uh, family have, have their normal, uh, Patriots day, big celebration in the yard with the family and neighbors and everybody else. And, and they, uh, right on the course, obviously. And, um, and hooting and hollering. And uh, this was back when the race started at noon. Yeah. So it's uh, so uh, so uh, they were, I think, started doing some serious drinking at about 9 a.m. or so. So by the time the athletes got there, um, but family started moving away, so on and so forth. And eventually the grandparents that owned the house passed and they had to sell the house. And they sold the house and wrote into the sale of the house that they had the use of the yard for Patriots Day forever. And so the people that live in this house pack up and move out of their own house on Patriots Day so that this tea, so that this family that had this celebration still has it there. And so it's just like that can only happen at Boston. That's so cool. You know, that's only at Boston. So Oh, that is so, so cool. Well, I know so many people that are listening uh, are running Boston. And, you know, I think everybody wants to know, like, how do I finish this race in the last 5K with enough pop in my legs to be able to run fast in that last 5K? Because it truly is pretty downhill at the end. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's a couple things with the course that are deceiving. Basically, from 21 to the finish is a net downhill, but you still have a couple hills in there. So you can never, like, you go, don't, because somebody goes, I thought it was all downhill from 21 in. And it's like, you know, it's like uh, a slap in the face when they hit, you know, um, right at 25, you go uh-huh. over the freeway and then you go down and with about an 800,000 to go, you go underneath um, Massachusetts Avenue and, you know, you, you go underneath and then come up before you make your right uh, on the Hereford. But it's uh, it's both of those you st- are like still hills. So it's um, what I would call hills. Anyhow, um, if you can, if you can learn to train, if you, and I'm always careful with this because I feel like when I'm talking to the masses, like, well, I can't do that. So it's like, but if you can learn to train, have any area where you can run downhills, those become more important than the uphills. Um, truthfully, heartbreak is not all that serious except that it comes from having done all these downhills prior to. And so it's a location issue on the course more than anything else. And it's uh, and so basically we're trying to callous your quads by running some downhills um, consistently in, in training. Yeah. It's such a tricky course. I'm like, every time I've run it, I'm like, why? I like that first 10K is, it's not even just kind of downhill. It is so downhill. And you, every time I go run the course, I forget how downhill it truly is. And I'm like, dang, like, cause you, you gotta like find that balance of like not pulling yourself back too much and like wasting energy doing that, but also not just like totally flying. It's, it's difficult for a lot of reasons. First of all, like we already said, you're in Boston. Okay. The excitement, the buzz of Boston, all of that. But um, also, you've run for three months with this highlighted on your schedule, trained for three months with this highlighted on your schedule the entire time. 
it's the only race that you usually have like helicopters buzzing right over your head and so on and so forth. And it's like, I tell people like, you could not train for a month and a half and probably PR for the first 10K. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, it's like you, so you really have to be conscious of that. You don't like, you don't want to hold yourself back, but you really have to be conscious of that. Um, it's interesting that at Boston, not the entire way, but the first 10K, Ks are marked as well. So you can look at things, you know, figuring out what, you know, pace you're running, what that means per kilometer, um, and get more checkpoints than you can at a normal course. And simply, the only reason you're checking your splits there is to make sure you're not running too fast, mm -hmm. you know, because you pay for it either way. But if, to, to run 10 seconds a mile fast early, I, I'm... In any course, I'm not a believer in time in the bank. Um, I just don't think it works. I think negative. I'm a big believer in negative splits and all of those kind of things. And so I think the time in the the if you can if you can hold yourself back enough so that you can race in that last 10k, you uh you'll have a great day. Gosh, I mean, take that advice, friends. But it is hard <laughs> to do in Boston. But do it. it. Is. Do it. It, it is hard. It is hard. You're right. You're definitely right. It's like, it's, uh, I know it's, it's easy to say, it's easy for us to say that, but it's not, it's, it's something you want to be conscious of the entire time before you're there, you know? So as much as you're absorbing all of the excitement, which is good, you should do that, all of that and, and play off the crowd and stuff. The one thing is it's not probably the, the first 10 K also has the, um, least amount of crowd. I mean, yeah. you'll have a crowd when you, when you come into Ashland, you'll have a crowd when you come into, you know, when you come into the cities, you'll have a crowd, but early on it's, it's just you, the course and the buzz of Boston. I was confused by that. The first time I was like, where are all the people they talked yeah. about? <laughs> right. Right. And they're, because it's spread out and there's nowhere, there's no way for fans to get to them. Yeah. Point. You know yeah. I mean? You can't get there. It's like, you know, so. It's like it's, unless you live there or. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, most people know you as a coach, but you also are a running store owner and you are race director. You do so many things. How do you divide your passions? Uh, I think the stores have allowed me to live my passions. Um, we, we opened the stores in 1991 and we had the stores and I so wanted to do, uh, and Keith agreed, I mean, but we both wanted to, but I really wanted to do um, a, a pro team and I wanted to get to group training and I wanted to, and this was a, something we talked about and we, we started with one store and it took off and one store became two and that became three real quick um, in the first couple of years and we were like, I, I didn't grow up with money, so like I didn't need uh, a summer cottage or a boat or those kind of things. So it was like easy for us to make this investment back into the sport. And so for us, this was this is my boat. This is my you know I enjoy it. It's like it, it's um, it, it's it's funny because people often say to me, people often say like they'll go someplace like Boston or something. And somebody will say, hey, uh, Coach Hanson, thanks for doing what you're doing for American Distance Running. And it seems so stupid to me. I mean, like, I appreciate the kind words, but the truth of the matter is, no, you don't come out of a movie and somebody go, hey, thanks for going to the movie. You mm. go, I went to the movie because I, I enjoyed it. That's the same thing with this. I'm doing it because I, I get from it. This is like a satisfaction thing for me. So, like, it's not, um, 
it's not something that deserves a pat on the back. I, I get, I enjoy what we do, but um, truthfully, the stores now, Keith and I both work probably 60 hours a week. Um, I, I work probably 15 to 20 in the stores um, doing store stuff and Keith does and the rest doing elite running stuff. Keith's numbers are almost exactly the opposite. So Keith spends 15 to 20 hours a week on program stuff and all the rest on the stores. Okay. And my wife is an accountant. She does, she does way more work than either of us do. Um, it's true. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, uh, um, she does all of the, um, accounting obviously for the store and she does all of the payroll for the store and she does all of the scheduling for the store and there's four stores now by the way and she does all the scheduling but she also does all of the travel for the elite program and and for us that was um that's close to a million miles a year Mm. um and for if you take all of the athletes so it's like it's a, a lot of all of the booking of hotels and all of that stuff she does all of that wow I love getting to hear about those, the people that, you know, you don't see. Right, right. And my daughter's been a big help to her um, in the sense that now she graduated from college, got her master's, and now she passed her agent's test, and she's uh, actually part of Murhawi's staff. Oh, cool. Um, And so she's one of Murhawi's agents, and um, I, uh, but she does, she helps with a lot of stuff, too, um, behind the scenes, and it's like, people don't understand, like... (laughs) I always tell people too, the fact that she's working in the industry is like, it makes me feel good, not because she's doing what I, what I do or anything like that. It's because (laughs) when she was two, three, four years old, remember she was born in 1998, the program started in 99. She doesn't know anything other than this. And so, yeah, she's been to every Olympic games, every world championships, every, but she didn't have a choice. She got drugged to this stuff, whether she wanted to or not. So my thing is, like, I appreciate that she's doing it because it kind of justifies her childhood. It's like it's not her saying, gosh, I'm doing something. I'm doing something that uh, I want to do anything but running because I had to do that all the time as a kid. So I feel good for that reason and that reason alone. I mean, I'd be happy with whatever she does, but I'm happy that she's in the sport because it justifies her childhood for me. But And you know... Like, you know how good and happy the community is. Like, you know how supportive the community in the running space is. So, like, you know she's going into an industry where people really care about each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. That's yeah. cool. I mean, yes. How do running stores do a better job not having an elitist vibe? That's, you know what? That is so important. When you just said that, that's so important. First of all, the number one thing is elite distance runners. And I know you know this from the number of podcasts you've done. Elite runners are a lot of them are pretty introverted. Yeah. The problem, the problem is that the public views that as they don't have time for me. They're conceited. They're, you know, so on and so forth. It, that, But they view, they view that action because they already feel a little inferior to what they're doing. We're both doing the same sport, only they're finishing an hour before me or two hours before me or whatever. And so they they already are a little intimidated. 
So we, we, we have team meetings that talk about this yeah. and talk about, we have to open up the communication because this is your fan base and we want them to know, you know, and so it's, uh, it's always been important for us to do that. We go back to like one of our first, when we started in 99 and we went to 2000 and we only had one, um, we, at that time, one Olympic trials, we had three Olympic trials qualifiers, but one on the, in the marathon. And then in 2004, we had like, we were taking like 12 guys. And so, um, in 2004, it was in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and we had a guy, a local guy say to me, Hey, Kevin, I got a question for you. Can, why don't you set up, um, uh, no, he said, can we get a bus set up to take all of us down to Birmingham and stuff? And I'm like, the same things that you're asking right now, like I'm trying to help run stores. I'm trying to run the program. I'm coaching. I'm like, I like, I don't have time to be collecting money and doing this for things. And I said, I go, Joe, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but I, I don't think I have time to do this. Oh, no, no, no. If you give me the okay, I'll do it. Mm. They filled up that bus. 54 people came down on a criterium course spread out throughout the all dressed in Hanson's garb uh. from head to toe. And every one of them, people said to me afterwards, did you have like 3000 people here? It's like, you know, it's like those 54 people came down on that full bus to Birmingham, Alabama, just to cheer on our athletes. And I love that because it's exactly what you're asking about trying to co connect the community with um, the elite um, side of things. And so we have athletes that work in the stores. Not all of them do their choice, but we have events that all of our athletes come to. Mm. We'll help out with awards. We'll help out with this. We'll help out. We'll do a question and an answer. We'll, you know, all of those kind of things. We'll go to local schools and things. Um, we went to 43 schools this last year. So, oh, um, so, cool. so like, you know, so it's like um, trying to not just give back, but try to break, in my mind, try to break down some of those walls that you're talking about. You know, like, oh, that's the elite side of things. I have nothing to do with that. It's like, I we, we, we can't afford for that to happen. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I do feel, and I guess I'm not engulfed in any other sport, but I do find that elite runners are pretty accessible to their fan base. Um, you know, simply from these podcasts alone, right? Like the right. fact that most elite runners in the United States will come on a podcast and share their story. Um, right. Which is good for their they sponsors, obviously. They yeah. need to. Yes, they need to. Exactly. It's like somebody has to know who you are other than a 209 marathoner yes. or a whatever it is. Somebody has to know you beyond that. And, you know, it's the same as it's the same as those people. Like we have people that come into the store that like um, I had this woman that had this picture of uh, an obese woman on her shirt. And it said, I'm running for so and so. And it had. Um, and she was, and she said to me, she goes, this is my motivation right here. And I said, is that a family member or is that, and she laughed at me and she goes, no, that was me. Mm. And she goes, that's what I looked like at one point. And she's like, she lost like half of her body weight, so on and so forth. And it's like, so inspirational and it's so motivational. Every person that steps on those lines has something that would impress you or impress me or impress anybody else. And all these elites have different stories too. It's like, it's, uh, uh, I have a good picture at the finish line this week uh, at Houston of Jesse Carden, who 
has been with us now for just short of a year. Debuted in the marathon in 2.32, ran this weekend 1.10 in the half marathon. She was running on her own. She went to a D3 school and then was running on her own and teaching full-time at elementary school and fitting running around that. And I saw some results and I reached out to her and her coach reached out to me. And she's been with us now. And when she crossed that finish line, I have pictures now of her with the teammates, with her, like both teammates are like smiling, her just sobbing, just sobbing because she's like, it's just like, she's so happy with, um, and she said that to me afterwards, but I'm just so happy with everything. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with, and it's like, those stories are like so motivational to everyone, you know, and, and I think there's just so many interesting stories that are, you know, um, which I think is what allows something like you, your podcast to be successful is because you get to share those stories and they share those stories with you and your audience. And we see like, oh, wow, now I can get behind so-and-so I, I get them because of this, or we have this in common or, you know, whatever. But, uh, no, I, I think it's important. Yeah, it's so much more fun and easier to cheer for someone when you know a little bit more about their story. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so what are we what are we not talking about in the sport or who are we not talking about? Who should we be watching or what should we be excited about that you're not seeing people talk about? Um, it goes back to the same thing I just said about everybody's a story. Mm. The interesting the interesting thing I find is like I always tell people this like when an athlete comes in, I said, nobody knew who Des was for five years in the program. You know I mean? Des was a 16, 17, 5K person that never ran a serious 10K in college and came in never wanting to run the marathon. You know, um, uh, those were her like rules, you know, like I don't want, I just want to see how good I can be at 10K. And then like within a year, she was like, Will you let me run the marathon? I was like, <laughs> of course, I never said you could. You know, so uh, same thing with Brian Sell when he made the Olympic team. Same kind of thing. Nobody really knew who he was for four or five years. And so I always tell people that's like part of the game. Mm-hmm. You'd actually, you're just paying your dues. You're just plugging away, paying your dues, paying your dues, paying your dues. And then maybe somebody will find out who you are and maybe somebody won't. You know, so it's like, um, and it's always, I had, I don't know if this name means anything to you. Probably not because he's an old timer. But Kevin Collins is his name. Mm-hmm. And he was a U.S. champion champion in the marathon in like, I want to say 2001, something like that. And he uh, um, he was getting ready for the world championships in Paris. And Clint Buren, who was running for us, was getting ready. So he said, can I come out and train with you guys during that time? And he was in his mid-30s then. I said to him something about what's kept you in the sport because – this was prior to having groups and so on and so forth. And he went through all the dark ages and stuff. And he goes, I want to be able to answer the question. Am I good enough to be an Olympian? It's like, everyone says I'm trying, I'm training to become an Olympian. He didn't say that. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm trying to answer the question so that what happens is if I didn't do this, I would forever question whether or not I was good enough. If I do this and don't do it, don't make it's not a failure because now I've answered that question. Mm. And so I love that attitude. And I think it's like, hey, there's a that's what we're trying to do is provide the environment and um, the situation that allows people to be successful. Um, is everyone going to be successful? 
well, not by their standards, but but is everyone going to be an Olympian? Heck no. But they can answer the question whether or not they were capable of it and they had the resources and the environment to take care of it. How do you walk through that with an athlete when they miss those big goals? Yeah, I would say the the biggest one that I had with that um, was Clint Viren. Because Clint Viren was, um, there was a period where there'd be like five marathons a year um, where Americans would run under 216 Mm -hmm. and he would be two or three of them. And um, every year. And so he would be two or three. So he was like, if you had a, a list for that four years and he finished fifth in the trials in 2004 and didn't make the team. And so, um, and had finished 11th in the trials before that and was like, but my big thing was like life experiences. You've been on several world teams. All of this is like really cool life experiences. My father-in-law who passed a couple years back was a teacher that enjoyed golf. And he said, I taught for 40 years so that I could travel and do some of the things that I enjoy doing and so on and so forth. Your athletes get to do it coming out of college. Like it's like, and I say that to them all the time. It's like life experiences, take this in. This is awesome. What we're doing is awesome. You're special. It's like, and it, and it's not me just blowing smoke up their rear ends. It's like, it's true. It's like, it's, it's awesome. So that's what I try to thrive on that. And the other stuff comes with it. You know, I'm, uh, if you, if you make a team great, if you don't, okay, you still, you still didn't, you still had these life experiences. You didn't miss out on any of those. Yeah, that's such a good way. I've heard so many athletes talk about like coaches reminding them when they get like if you're running in your first Olympic trials or your first Olympics, like get onto the track or wherever you are and like soak it in. Like don't just like obsess over being nervous, like be there for just a minute and think about what, you know, how you got there. It's great, great advice. I totally agree. I totally agree. You just you want to take it all in. You want you you want to know this is like, I mean, and I always tell them you also want to look at the number of people that weren't fortunate enough mm. to have this. I mean, you look at things like um, uh, you can look at the last women's trials and um, and what we've learned since and so on and so forth in the marathon. I want to know. You tell me who was betting against Emily Sisset or against right. those kind of people. It's like, so it's not automatic just because you're one of the best marathoners that you even make that Olympic team. So it's like, so there's nothing's guaranteed. So you, I, I mean, I want them to not only appreciate that experience, but also realize all those people appreciate it for all of those people that didn't get a chance to, to do that, that maybe we're deserving for everything except the trials day, you know? So totally. I like, I can't wait to see who surprises us, you know, right? because somebody will, somebody will. And I, I mean, I right, really exactly. like, I, I, I'm making this number up, but I'm like, I feel like I could count like 12 people off the top of my head that I'm like, no, nah, I could see them making the team, but I'm like, somebody is going to surprise us in that top three. And it's funny that you say that I agree with you. And to take it a step further, you had 12 going into the last trials yeah. that could do that. And and nobody's 12 included Molly Seidel. No, no. So, so I mean, so it's really more than 12. It's only 12 that we have on our list. There's also somebody else that's down there that's busting their butt day in and day out that says, okay, I'm going to be here to surprise people. I'm going to yes. be here to, I mean, and, and that's awesome. That's, that's great. I love it. 
So, so true. Okay. Um, last question here before we wrap up with end a podcast in a dream world in the running space, like what changes do you think would be most important to be made to make our sport better? This would be a real easy opportunity with low hanging fruit to bash on our governing body. Yeah. Um, but I, but I won't do that. Um, <laughs> true, I, I won't. It's just too easy. It's like, um, there's things there that, you know, I mean, we have the half marathon championships coming up that we, everybody found out about a minute and a half ago, you What's know, so up it's like that. And, and it happened last year. Oh yeah. Well, it was in Indiana. Indy. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm from Indiana. Why didn't I know this? Right. Exactly. Um, and, and it's not because you were out of the loop. It was because there was no loop to include anyone in. I mean, it was just, so those things are things are, but truthfully on a much bigger stage, a big, more grand, I flirted with it. I've done it a little bit, but I want the U.S. to embrace the academic. Oh, yeah. Um, I really think that it's something that we're lacking. And like partially for me is we had people on Chiba Academic for several several years back. They stopped doing that event, but taking people to Japan for this, taking people and seeing how it is there and then realizing like I'm there. They're Hakone, I don't Hakone, I don't know if it's Hakone or Hakone. I probably botching it, but um Akaden that takes place on January first is like it's nationally televised and people are glued to the set for the entire thing. It's like it's major must watch TV. This is like a big thing. And so I just if you've ever experienced an Akaden, you want to be part of it. It's like it's a team event that we miss out on. And so I really would, uh, for me, I mean, we tried doing it a couple years yeah. here and, and, and I think we'll get back to it again. Um, but, uh, it's, Can you explain uh, to everybody what it is. Yeah. Basically it's a relay. Um, and like, it can be any distance and it can be any number of runners, uh, depending on what you're doing. Like we did the marathon distance and we had six runners and varying distances from a 5k to a 10k. We did, 5K, 10K, and a six-point whatever K to make it uh, work out so that um, three men, three women, uh, it's run a relay style, and you hand off a sash that you put on. It's got your team name across the sash, and it's just like it's it's really cool. You have no idea what's going on. Your team could be down by a minute, and you're and and be back in it because your next leg is somebody else has who's winning has a weaker leg than you do, and so on. like like a relay is on the track, except that being a greater distance, greater distances can be made up and lost and so on and so forth. And it's just super exciting. And I think, I think it also highlights teams and I, I like anything that can highlight team competition because I think it gives these groups something additional to hang their hat on. It's why um, we always participate in club cross country. We always participate because I think there's not enough things like you can look and say, hey, um, you know, uh, Bowerman ran great at the Olympic trials, but there was no team scoring mm. or there was no it's it's a, a group of individuals that go and run. And this is kind of one of the only team things. So that's kind of uh, something that that I uh, would like to see. I think I really believe that if although I believe a lot of things running wise that because I'm a little more geeky in the sports than most people that I think that uh, the American public could wrap their head around if they saw it, you know, and they, 
experienced it. Well, and totally since like we are all following the teams, like we as fans are all invested in all the different teams and that, and the teams make it easier to follow people because we associate them with those teams. Um, and then I think you could get all of the, you know, all these local running stores and they're, you know, like Raleigh, for instance, has like Raleigh Distance Elite Team. Yes. Like you can get yes. all these teams into it. And and I think the most important piece is that it's fun. Exactly. It's fun. You know, I mean, Club Cross Country has, you know, 35 men and 35 women's teams out there. And it's because it's a team event. It's like, you know, and people are, you know, in, in summer like us and BAA and NAZ, we're running to try to to try to win some of them know that when they step out there they're not going to have one runner in the top 100 yeah and they're not that's not what it doesn't matter that's not what they're there for they're there for the camaraderie of the team and so so and i think that you can get that from the academic as well totally love it love that discussion all right what's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet um honestly i i, I tie that mostly the same kind of thing. I would like, I would like professionally to be thought of, thought of as the one that brought the uh, Ekaden here to the U.S. I'd like to be thought of as somebody that, and but obviously that only matters if Ekaden takes off. But it's like um, I'm proud of some of the things that we've done in the sport already, and I, I don't long for more. I'm, I, I am probably the only person that you can think of that if. Somebody came to me and told me they would double my annual salary if I went and did this. I would say, no, thanks. Mm. I'm good. I'm good. I'm like almost everyone would jump on those kind of things. Not me. I'm happy. I'm, I am truthfully happy. I'm like happy with what we're doing, happy with the aspects that we're doing in the sport. I'm happy with all of those things. Um, so it's not for me. It's not a. um and maybe it's maybe it's age as much as anything. I'm 62 years old now, so maybe it's like me just getting older. But I don't think so because I think I felt this way for 20 years. How do you have the energy for all that you do? Because, like my, that, you're the same age as my parents. Um, they had <laughs> stop. A, I know for a second. Stop that right there. That's like that's that's painful to hear. But, okay, but I, <laughs> let no, me let I me um, let me asterisk that with they were like way too young when they had us. Like my mom was like 19. So. Um, my parents were very young parents, um, but like <laughs> they're very much living a pretty retired life. You know what I mean? And yeah. when you say you work 60 hours a week, I cannot imagine my parents I, I, doing that. I don't, I don't long for retirement. You know, like part of it is cause I enjoy what I do. Like when people, normal jobs, people say, oh, I got six more months and then I retire. You know, it's like they look forward to that. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I like, I enjoy what I do. So it's like, I, whatever, I don't, you know, and I never, ever like, I mean, like <laughs> when we decided to do this podcast and came up with a time to do this podcast, Yeah. those are the, those are the things that I have on my, other than that, I don't look at a watch. I look yeah. at watch the time athletes. I don't say, oh, shoot. 45 more minutes and I get to go home or whatever. It, it, that just doesn't happen. It's like, so I enjoy what I do. So it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's just different than what I know most people have. So it's like, it's different for that reason. It's funny. My sister, I, we had my daughter when I was much older than, uh, you know, obviously I was 38 years old. Well, 
38 years old that year when we had, um, when my daughter was born. Um, my younger sister has same thing. She has uh, a 40 year old daughter. Mm. And, and I always, it was always weird to me. Cause I was like, when she's growing up, like, you know, she's 20 and I'm like, I'm not old enough to have a 20 year old, but <laughs> my younger sister does. So obviously the math works out, but it's like the same thing. Having younger kids is different, but I will tell you this. I do think that working with athletes helps keep you younger. Um, it really does. And people say that all the time and things, and yet just, just seeing things through their eyes and so on and so forth. And I, I don't know. I just, I think it helps keep you younger. Well, I actually oftentimes wonder that about my parents. I'm like, because they had us so young, I mean, we were out of the house when they were, you know, the (laughs) same age I am now, almost 40. And, you know, I have a four-year-old. So it's like, um, yeah, I, sometimes I wonder how that affects the aging process. What, when you have kids, because if you are 50 and you still have kids in the house that are kind of younger, Right. It, you have to keep up with them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When I was when I was 50, Samantha was 12. Right. Um, the, I'll tell you the one time, though. I remember <laughs> I, I taught high school for eight years before we started to open the stores and things. Um, and so I remember taking my daughter to school um, or I don't, taking her or picking her up, whatever. And I'm, I'm in the uh, lobby of the school and people coming in and saying, hi, Mr. Hanson. I don't know if you remember me. You were my English teacher. And that's all other parents. It's all, you know, it's all the other parents. I'm going, yeah, I remember. You know, it's just like, I get it. I'm older than all of you. I understand. You know, it's like, but it was like, it was always weird to me because it was like, yeah, I, I'm Mr. Hanson to them. And then and they the turn parents. around and, and the other parents are Nancy and whatever and so on and so forth to each other. But to me, I'm Mr. Hanson. So I'm like, oh, oh God. that so, is so yeah. funny. That is so yeah. funny. Um, well, there are definitely huge pluses to having kids young or having kids older. I think you both know? ways. Yeah, yeah for sure. I absolutely. mean, like, can you imagine being done raising your kids at 40? I mean, crazy. Oh, oh no. Not no, that you're ever done because I'm calling my mom all the time still. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> you say that. No, no. I, and, and you know what? Um, it can be like, it can be like stupid stuff. It could be like, you call your mom and say, how long do I boil water yes. for, to make this or whatever? It can be, it can be dumb stuff like that. And your parents will sometimes act like they're annoyed. Yeah. They go, Seriously. You don't know that. Blah, blah, blah. They love those phone calls. <laughs> they do. I'm telling they you, they love those me. phone calls. They do. That's right. That's exactly how you feel. They still need me. Right. Exactly. So oh, it's a good thing. That's funny. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I have bore so many like emotional tolls on my parent, my mom this past fall that even though I know it's been hard for her dealing with my mental health crisis, I actually know that she, she is, she feels valued because of it because she's been a great resource for me and it's probably really hard, but she wants to be that resource, you know? Right, right, right. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She would be, her feelings would be hurt. Yeah. I'm sure, I don't know your mother at all. I'm just saying most parents' feelings would be hurt if they felt like you didn't come to them yeah. with this. I, I, I want to be part of the, the solution. I want to be on, on everything, you know? Yeah. So it's like anything that you can include me in, you know? So <laughs> that's right. It's good. It's good. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Okay. Just finished one that um, I'm not, I don't, 
I'm not a sci-fi guy. I'm not a, any of those kind of things. I, I love um, autobiographies and I love um, trying to learn from other people. And I think, I, by the way, I coached high school girls for 34 years. And so I have kind of a different attitude towards female athletes, I think positively than most um, 62-year-old men. Um, but uh, this book right here, it's Megan Rapinoe's One Life. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Uh, really good. Just, you know, her obvious struggles um, in sport and sexuality and a lot of things that I think make it a good teaching book for um for probably any coach, but even more so a male coach that works with females. Mm, okay. So I think very good. And that, that isn't why I bought it for that, but that's what I got from it. I'm so glad you mentioned that. What a great suggestion. I'm sure there's lots of male coaches listening. So um, I, and I haven't, is this a new book? Like is, did she recently re- release this? It's been out for, it's been out for about a year. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I just got around to reading it. So, okay. um, so and it's, it's, it's always funny, like, that's not one, but I have had some books that, like, athletes will give to you, yeah. and it's always interesting. It's like, when I'm reading it, I always think, did they think I needed to learn this? Like, like there's certain <laughs> things, like, huh, am I screwing up on something here that they thought I needed to learn? So, so there's certain things that, like, uh, but, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, w- I was in I was an English major and an English teacher, so reading is important oh, to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say um, your book comment. I was like, well, if someone hands you Lauren Fleshman's book, you might get a little bit nervous as a coach. I yeah. love her book so much, but she, you know, she really points out some really important things that coaches need to to think about. So, right. No, no, those are fair. Those are fair. And it's somebody that's been there, done that person. So it's like when they say that, it's like I, I don't want anybody to have to go through negatives like that. But you hope that um, and I haven't read it but I I you hope that she's a study of one and that it's not something that that everybody falls into there's a lot of things with our group that were always different than that like um back four or five years ago when they when they were all over women uh, uh, all over groups about um you know what is your policy on on a woman being pregnant and mm. so on and so forth and Brooks came to me immediately and said I think we need to put something in place. And I'm like, you realize I've had mm. athletes that have already been through this. Go, What's your policy? I said, they have their baby. <laughs> exactly. Like, what, do you mean? what do you mean? I don't understand. I don't like, and so there was never any reductions or any, any of the, and so like, it's always, so it's funny to me because the contracts were not set up to try to take advantage of a person. And it's like, so it's always things like that, that like, um, very, very little of that ever got published because it didn't send the message mm. that, you know, like, um, but yeah, we, I mean, Dot's had babies while she was with us. Melissa's had babies while she was with us. You know, it's like, um, yeah, we're not, it's not, a, it's, it, life goes on, whatever, you know, I mean, so, um, but in any case, um, 
I, 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 I'm sure I will get around to reading yeah. Lauren's book for sure. Yeah. So. You'll like it. It's really, really. Yeah. And, and I think as an, I like Lauren. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So. And as an English major too, because I, I said this when I was talking about it in my Instagram stories, I was like, you know, a lot of people write books about their lives, but like a, not a lot of people are actually really good writers too. And so right. to pair like right. a really good story, um, and message with really eloquent, writing that is easy to follow and also interesting it's hard to do and she did a really good job i'm not surprised i've heard good things so um so by the way another good book by a good person is the um allison desher book oh yes running while black yes she's she is awesome she is just awesome and i thought that was um i i read that one the day it came out. Wow. Between like we were we were in Sacramento for um, we were in Sacramento for a course tour that we were doing of the CIM course. And the book came out and um, I went to the bookstore and bought six copies mm. so that I gave one to every one of the athletes and then sat down, read it and then finished it on the plane ride home. So it's uh, and um, very good. Very good. So. So many people have recommended that book. I have got yeah. to read it. It's good. It's good. Um, last two questions. Who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? You mean in my world, or do you mean just um, in history? Whoever. Yeah. Um, I'm. This sounds weird, but I'm taken back by two historical, well, historical but but two women um i would love to sit down and talk to um michelle obama uh-huh and hillary clinton Ooh. both of those two um i think both of those would be people <laughs> that i i think have done a incredible job of saying how they felt but have stif have felt stifled in what they're able to say mm. in a lot of things. And so I would like, I think I could learn from both of them. Mm. Love that. Last message to leave with our audience. Um, honestly, for me, it's just, um, I know the weird thing is your audience is a slanted audience in the sense that just like I always say this with like my Twitter account or anything else is that, the people that are listening and the people that are following me or following you and so on and so forth are people that are already largely on our, on the same page as us. And so we're preaching the choir. And I think we sometimes don't realize that there's another world out there. Mm -hmm. What I would say is um, that's okay. Enjoy. I, I think, I think our sport has so much more to offer that we can enjoy. And when some people get to that point where they can no longer be a volunteer, when somebody mm. does uh, be, be involved in the, the sport you can be involved in forever, um, even if you can no longer physically do it or whatever. But I just think there's um, so much that our sport has to offer. Mm. So true. And I'll just piggyback off that. I I'm kind of in like a not super into running right now phase after I ran a marathon this fall. And I am just like loving a spin class and also still running a few days a week. But like, you know, not obsessing over it. But that doesn't mean like I'm still not immersed in the running community. So if anybody's like in a place where they're not like 
training for a marathon that's so glamorous and sexy, that's okay. You're still a runner. Right. You're still part Absolutely. of the community. Absolutely. You know what? I always say is like if you if you're if you're lacking motivation, go watch a middle school meet. Oh, I need to do that. That is so fun. The kids love everything they're doing. You know, it's just like it's crazy. They love, you know, they love everything. They love the drills. They love warm-up. They love, you know, they love everything they're doing. And so it's like you go. Sometimes you go and you you see those kids and you go, oh yeah, that's why I do this. That's why I do this. That's what that's what made me stick with this forever and ever because mm. I was them before. So it's like, but go watch a middle school meet. I'm so bummed our middle school here doesn't have cross country. Oh, Isn't yeah, that, that is wild? A I'm like, it's a bummer. Do I need because to it's... go to the school and be like, can I be create the team? I I don't know if it's a citywide thing or what, but there's no middle school cross country where my boys are gonna go. And it's so inexpensive. Yeah. It's not like, you know, like football, got to pay for equipment and so on and so forth. And um, for us, whatever. I mean, a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and, it, and we can make it work, you know, and a, so in some shoes. And it's a no-cut so, sport. Like every kid can do it. Every kid can participate. Yeah. Someone someone once told me before, and the, the kid that's the worst one on the team gets the most amount of playing time. Mm. And I would say, oh, Ooh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like, you know, point. so it's like, so it's like, uh, yeah, so it's like you, you're not sitting on a bench. You're not like so on and so forth, which that's so there's so all true. Kinds of so Kevin Hansen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I enjoyed it. Good. To, you're fun to talk to. So thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. You all can follow the Hansons Brooks team. Go to Hansons Brooks ODP on uh, Instagram. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hines 626 at Lindsay Hines on Twitter. And we have a great Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hines. All right. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week on I'll Have Another.